0: So namo Tassa bhagavato arahanto sama sambu Namo Tassa bhagavato arahanto sama sambu Namo Tassa bhagavato arahanto sama Sambodasa Yeah, Mary Grace was right. It's a tennis court. <laughs> <laughs> A lovely tennis court. It's a beautiful view from here. And I know in that beautiful view, as in the small groups today, there was the affirmation of being in the swamp. And we have the heat to go with it as well. So I just want to first and foremost just acknowledge every one of you and your sincerity and working. So diligently with this practice and it's very inspiring to sit and to look around and to sometimes if I'm feeling, I don't know if I can take another minute, when's Mary going to ring the bell? (laughs) And like, oh, I look over at you all and you're sitting and it gives me inspiration. (laughs) So we inspire each other. This is the noble community, the Sangha, very precious, a jewel. So thank you very much. And I know for many of us, we come here with this idea of being made of the right meditative stuff. And I think it's uh, pretty universal. And we were also talking about it in the uh, small group of uh, the critical and judgmental mind. Does anybody have one of those? Yeah. (laughs) We all kind of agreed there's a critic here. So even when we come to meditation, we may have this certain idea of... uh, being made of the right meditative stuff and doing it right. So here's a little reading for you about being of the right meditative stuff. So if you can start the day without caffeine or pep pills, and if you can be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, you're made of the right meditation stuff if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, if you can understand when loved ones are too busy to give you time, if you can overlook when people take things out on you through no fault of the odds something goes wrong, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, you're made of the right meditative stuff, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without liquor, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, if you can do all of these things, then you probably are the family dog. (laughs) So much for being out of the right meditative stuff. Though not to be uh, lackadaisical, because there is a certain, of course, importance to our effort. But may it be held With self compassion. We've been talking, or we've been infusing, is maybe the word, this quality of self compassion. This is very tender work that we're doing on ourselves. And in my honest opinion, I don't think there's anything more noble that one could be doing, and yet something uh, tremendously difficult. This work on ourselves is incredible. But perhaps there comes a time in the life where what else is there indeed to do? And perhaps what drove us here, what drove me here, what drove me to practice was my own suffering in my own life. From a very early age, I had a lot of experiences of death. A brother, a best friend, a grandfather. And I just was really uh, confused and filled with grief and trying to figure out, what is this life? And I was looking outside of myself for many years, and finally, after flunking out from college and being remitted back in warning, I decided to take a class that was something unlike I had ever taken before. It was called Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, and Zen. And when I went into the classroom, there was this strange guy sitting in a full lotus position on top of the desk. <laughs> this is a very different class. I had never been to a class like this before. This was the 70s. But nevertheless, not many. this was the only teacher I ever saw walking into a classroom sitting in a full lotus position on the desk. And I could tell the way he began to talk that he knew something that I didn't know and I wanted to know what he knew. He was a practitioner. So I began to read the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. And I'll never forget an epigram number 47 that kind of just walloped me in a very beautiful way where it said, there's no need to look outside your window for everything you need to know is inside you. And I had never considered that I think up to that point in my life, living in a lot of confusion, despair, I was looking outside of myself for answers. And this was saying, look inside yourself. This began a journey that I've been on for many years now. And the clock is ticking for all of us. And I think from a very early age, when I had this awareness of death and that it could happen to anyone at any time, I got what the Buddhists call Samvega. It's a Pali word. Pali, the language of the Buddha, has these incredible words just one word, and it can mean so much. Samvega means when you have the realization that death can come at any moment it catapults you into a sense of urgency for understanding, for deliverance, to understand the meaning of life. So at an early age, I was struck with this sense of despair, urgency. What is this life? Jane Kenyon reminds us with her poem Otherwise of this fact. She says that I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, and a ripe, flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birch wood, and all morning I did the work that I love. And at noon I lied down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. We ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. I slept in a room with paintings on the walls, and I planned another day. Just like this day, but one day I know it will be otherwise. One day I know it will be otherwise. But what is this life? It's mysterious. Rod McClaver writes about why do we exist? Fifty trillion cells make up the human body and each of those cells, in turn, consists of atoms, countless millions or billions of them depending on the functions of a specific cell. And the atoms, they consist mostly of empty space, protons and neutrons surrounded by electrons. Empty space, just as the universe is mostly empty space. The human body, this entity of mostly open space, is space held together, space unified, even for a short while, by a life force. This force needs a purpose. Without a purpose, there's no reason for the unity. These atoms existed before the human body, and they make up, existed, and they'll be here after life is gone. But in the meantime, in this short interval, the atoms are held together by an indescribable, unknowable force, this empty space. Tara Brock writes that the same universal force of attraction that gathers atoms into molecules and holds solar systems spinning in the galaxies also joins sperm with eggs and brings people together in communities. Who Am I? Who are we? The Buddha talked a lot about the mindfulness of the body. That within this body is the world. He says in the Samyutta Nikaya, one of the canonical books of Buddhism says, I do not teach that the cessation of the world of suffering could be done without the attainment of Nibbana. Within this fathom-long body, with its thoughts and emotions, is the world, its origin, its cessation, and the path leading to freedom. In this fathom-long body. Saraha says that within my body are all the sacred places of the world, and the most profound pilgrimage I can ever make is within my own body. Mary Oliver, the trickster, she writes a very tricky poem about the body. It's called The Body, and it says, Bless the fingers, for they are darting as fire. Bless the little hairs of the body, for they are softer than grass. Bless the hips, for they are cunning beyond all machinery. Bless the mouth, for it is the describer. Bless the tongue, for it is the maker of words. Bless the eyes, for they are the gifts of the angels, for they tell the truth. Bless the shoulders, for they are strength and shelter. Bless the thumb, for when it's working, it has a godly grip. Bless the feet for their knuckles and their modesty. And bless the spine for its whole story. So we're going to be moving more and more into the body practice. And the Buddha taught, and we gave some reference earlier to four foundations of mindfulness... And the first foundation is the foundation of the body, the second is its feelings, sensations, the third is mind, mind states, and the fourth are dharmas. And in the body section, there's six particular practices that the Buddha taught. We've been practicing with the first three, which is the mindfulness of breathing, the mindfulness of our posture. Yesterday we got instructions for standing and for walking meditation and sitting. And of course the fourth posture is lying. So there's the mindfulness of the breathing, the mindfulness of posture. The mindfulness of daily activities. Being mindful of eating, showering, defecating, walking. So many different activities of day-to-day living we can bring our mindfulness to. These three practices are commonly practiced here in the West. And the latter three are not practiced that much. Actually many people are unfamiliar or don't even know that These other practices exist in how to practice them. These last three are called the 32 parts of the body meditation and the mindfulness of the elements, particularly the four primary elements, solidity, liquidity, motion, and temperature. And the last is a practice on the mindfulness of death. This is a pretty graphic practice. It speaks to about nine different stages of decomposition from the first day of a body dying until it gradually turns to dust. <coughs> Not probably a very popular practice. But, you know, I thought about this practice a lot, being that from a very early age I was struck with death and that realization. And, and why all these graphic descriptions... And then I realized, there's an old Hindu proverb that says, everyone thinks everyone else is going to die, but not me. And I, I think there's a part of me that still kind of clings to that, wishes for that. And so maybe it would actually take me a year or two to sit in front of a body, going through these different stages of decomposition, to finally churn into dust, to finally really get that it does happen. It's a very powerful practice. Tungpulu Sero introduced me. Tungpulu Sero is my old teacher. He was a meditation master from Burma in the forest, Burmese forest tradition. And he was a practitioner of the 32 parts of the body meditation. And then, actually, I'd just like to read you a quote about uh, what he had to say about this practice. The 32 parts of the body is the most eminent of all of the foundations of mindfulness. This meditation is unlike any other kind of meditation. It is brought to light and taught only in the times when the Buddhas arise. I was introduced to this meditation in 1980 and I, actually, and I, I practiced it uh, quite diligently. And then off and on for about 26 years, it's funny to have lived long enough to say, yeah, I've been working this, with this for 26 years. But that's true. And about 26 years into the practice, I realized, wow, this is really an incredible practice. This needs to be kind of shared with others. So about three and a half years ago, I began to teach it at Vipassana Santa Cruz. And I really wasn't sure if anybody was really going to come when I put up the flyer. But come, they did. And I've had this connection to the body for quite a while. Because my main work is I teach what's called mindfulness-based stress reduction. And I work at different medical centers and I provide Mindfulness based stress reduction programs for people that are living with stress, pain, and illness. And one of the primary practices we use in mindfulness based stress reduction is the body scan meditation. A very body oriented practice, beginning with the left foot and methodically going through the body part by part, getting in touch with what we're feeling physically, then ultimately, uh, you know, f- with getting aware of the feelings, thoughts, and emotions as we go through the body. And we can say really that the 32 parts of the body is the original body scan. To do the 32 parts of the body, well, actually, before I go into talking about it, you're probably all wondering what are the parts? So I'm going to recite them to you. Part of this practice is memorization, and uh, and, and tomorrow I'll be giving you handout sheets of it. So don't worry. Yeah, but the 32 parts is divided into four groups that are solid and two groups that are liquid. The, in the solids, there's five in each of the four groups, so that's 20, and then there's two groups of six liquids. So the, the, the parts are head here, body here, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, large intestine, small intestine, stomach, feces, brain. Very interesting arrangement there. Bio, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, saliva, mucus, oil of the joints, and urine quite a grouping. (laughs) In order to do this practice in its full entirety, the reason I was mentioning earlier wondering if anyone would show up, is that it actually takes eight months to do, or 33 weeks. We begin the first week working with the first five parts of the body, head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin. Then the second week, we do it in reverse order, skin, teeth, nails, body here, head here. In the third week we do it forward and reverse. Head here, body here, nails, teeth, skin, skin, teeth, nails, body here, head here. Three weeks done. Fourth week we go to the next grouping. Flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys. One week forward, one week backwards, one week forward and backwards. Then we start back again, head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bone marrow, kidney, one week forward, one week backwards, one week forward and backwards. Then we go on to the next grouping. So we zigzag back and forth. When we chant it, and maybe one time during this retreat, we'll do the full chant. It takes about 45 minutes, and that's the entire practice. So I know that not all of you can come to Santa Cruz and do this for eight months, and so we're also introducing this in the retreat, and Mary Grace and I, and Marcy introduced this last year, and it was wonderful to get a sense of the practice, and some actually carried on into their lives. I'd like to speak something about the benefits that Seattle used to talk about for this practice. This helps maybe ask, why do this practice? And so, probably the number one benefit is it helps to, um, it develops the, the erroneous the view of self becomes eradicated. The sense of, where is this I, me, am I? And in the um, middle length sayings, the Majuma Nikaya, there's a sutta from, actually the Buddha's son, it's called the Maha Rahulavada Sutta. Rahula was the Buddha's son. And the Buddha says, Rahula, any kind of material form, whatever, whether past, future, or present, internal or external, gross or subtle, inferior or superior, far or near, all material forms should be seen as it actually is with proper wisdom. This is not mine. This is not myself. As I was leaving, my wife was uh, trying to hide in these pictures that I have of myself. <laughs> and, but I brought them anyways. And so um, in January, I had a, a surgery on my right knee. And they, I actually watched it while he did it. And I have these wonderful pictures of my femur. And these will be out here to just show you later. This is what the femur looks like. And then a couple of uh, Fridays ago, I had my first colonoscopy. (laughs) And you ever see the inside of a large intestine? This is what it looks like. We may not want to see that, but here it is: large intestine with four polyps. Two of them potentially could grow into cancer, but they were taken out. They were slow growing, very humbling. But I bring these little things here to see and the charts so that we can begin to, if you will, look underneath the hood. What's actually going on here? There's a really wonderful um, picture. I don't know if you can all see this. It's a Gary Larson from the Far side. I wish I had this blown up big. But what it is, it's a group of cows and they're sitting in a pasture and they're eating grass. This is what cows do, you know. They eat grass. But Often the cows don't know they're eating grass. And this one meditating cow must have had a powerful insight because all of a sudden he said out loud in a tremendous insight, wait a minute, we're eating grass. We're eating grass. Wait a minute, we're eating grass. (laughs) So in the same way, wait a minute, we have a body. We have a body. We have a body. Sometimes you wouldn't know that we did. In the Dubliners, James Joyce writes of a character in his book called Mr. Duffy, and it was said of him that Mr. Duffy happened to live a short distance away from his body. Short distance away from his body. And so this practice is a very powerful practice of getting in touch with this body. And when you think of it, this is the only body we're ever going to get. As far as some of the benefits of this practice, one is that it's been used as a healing meditation. Just by visualizing and penetrating into these parts, it has been recorded in the Buddhist literature of healings that have taken place. And I actually know a person that experienced um, some healing with the 32 parts and I met Barbara when I was living in the monastery many years ago and she had uh, the fourth stage lung cancer that had metastasized and she was given under a, a year to live actually a six month prognosis and she began to study with the monks and they introduced her to the 32 parts of the body particularly the section on the lungs and she began to feel better And at the year anniversary of her supposed death, she sent a postcard to her oncologist with just two words, still here, (laughs) signed Barbara. And this went on for about five or six years. And eventually she did pass away from cancer. But it was really quite amazing. And Barbara wrote a poem. And I think that this poem came out of her direct experience with the practice. And it's about her life and her death as she was getting close to dying. She said, it's not the will to live which sustains my life, but the release from fear. I've not outwitted death, but broken free from the stranglehold of fear. At Christmas, we celebrate the wonders of birth. At Easter, the miracle of rebirth. What then of death? Without fear... Death unfolds like a warm cloak of soft black wool. Death is the abyss from which all life emerges drawn by the light. Barbara Roberts. Hmm. So in the text they also talk about benefits that practicing the 32 parts of the body, you can become the conqueror of your own boredom and delight the conqueror of fear and dread the one who can bear cold and heat it uproots pride and clinging it amasses deep concentration, you will become intelligent (laughs) you'll attain jhana, absorption you'll attain nirvana complete freedom one penetrates to see the body as it really is its elements and permanence No lasting self to be found. And actually on a personal side of some stories in the last few years, I remember one um, woman that was going through menopause. And whenever we got to bio-phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, (laughs) the sweat was a big, you know, she, it was a bummer when she would start to sweat. And so she's decided just to take it on, let me sweat has become my practice. And it was amazing how that the the f- flash which she was such a formidable, undesirable element became a practice for her to embrace and to work with and to learn from. Remember one woman just blurting out, I love my large intestines. They're working. <laughs> When they're not working, we got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Achon Mun. Venerable Achon Mun. This is Achan Cha's teacher. And Achan Cha was the teacher of Jack Kornfeld and many other Westerners. Achon, Cha, Achon Mun was a revered forest master and the, the teacher of Achan Cha. And he says about the body, in your investigation of the world... Never allow the mind to desert the body. (coughs) Examine its nature. See the elements, the suffering, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, lying down. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world become clear. And in this way, the purity of the mind can shine forth timeless and delivered. So why do we do this practice? To, as Achan Cha would say, Achan Moon would say, to um, purify the mind, to experience freedom. Now there is, of course, a very interesting order to this. Head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, large intestine, small intestine, stomach, feces, brain, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, saliva, mucus, oil of the joints, urine. Why is it in this order? When we look into the commentaries, we don't find any answers for that. So I can't explain to you why it's in this order. Nor can I explain, and we can't find anywhere in the commentaries, why these parts. There's no eyeballs, there's no this, I mean there's a lot, those pancreas, there's pancreas, there's a lot of parts that are not missing. And, I think the knowledge of anatomy 2,500 years ago was a little different than it is now. But I think that this practice is just pointing us to begin to lift up the hood, to begin to understand and penetrate into the true nature of the body. So as we begin to work with it, if there's other parts that arise as you're working with certain areas, then they definitely can be included. So I wanted to, and we'll, we'll you know, mention that again. What is very interesting, though, is this arrangement of order. And there's a profound wisdom to it, and the first five really reveal it. The head hair, body hair, nails, fingernails, toenails, teeth, and skin. And when you think about it, the only parts that we actually see in every human being is head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, and skin. All right. Unless we've been to an autopsy, we're not going to see anything else. And when you think about the billions of dollars that the cosmetic industry pays on fussing with head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, and skin, it's no coincidence. A friend of mine, Virginia, she's actually taken the 32 parts of the body class for three years in a row. And she used to be, I think, like a CEO and was into numbers and I can't believe one day she came in and said, Bob, she has this Excel sheet and she figured out tentative you know, rough draft, how much she's actually spent on head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth and skin. <laughs> and she's now she's sixty seven years old. And so like between like 0 to 10, she spent $185 on head hair and $185 on teeth. And between the ages of 20 and 30, she spent $4,800 on head hair and 250 on body hair, 2000 on nails. So anyway, she's got this whole sheet. So she's figured out that um, in the 67 years that she's been living, she spent 89 No, no, no. Um, $180,691 on head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, and skin. Like under head hair, it's like shampoo, conditioners, curling irons, hair dryers, hair ties, haircuts, salon treatments, body hair, all the razors, shaving cream, eyebrow wax, nails, nail polish, nail files, nail utensils, pedicures, manicures, uh, nail oil, toothpaste, dental floss, toothbrushes, electronic... Tea, toothbrush, whiteners, cleanings twice a year, fillings, crowns, non skin, lotion, moisturizer, cleanser, makeup, peels, facials, laser work, skin cancer, freezing, <laughs> skin cancer surgeries. $180,691. This is just a guesstimate. <laughs> Amazing. Wendy Yen she's a poet in Santa Cruz and she heard about the 32 parts of the body and she decided to make her own poem about the body parts and she made 110 of them so this is her poem the 110 functions of the body you have to bear with me Inhaling, exhaling, smelling, coughing, sniffing, sneezing, hungering, thirsting, licking, sucking, tasting, biting, chewing, salivating, spitting, lubricating, swallowing, belching, hiccuping, vomiting, transporting, digesting, selecting, absorbing, storing, burning, building, copying, creating, destroying, cramping, flatulating, defecating, pumping, distributing, filtering, excreting, holding, urinating, listening, seeing, blinking, dilating, crying, speaking, humming, singing, screaming, whispering, smiling, frowning, laughing, upholding, anchoring, prosocepting, sitting, standing, balancing, walking, running, jumping, dancing, hugging, tensing, relaxing, contracting, stretching, trembling, enclosing, excluding, warming, shivering, cooling, sweating, Itching, scratching, shedding, moving, touching, feeling, engorging, climaxing, sleeping, snoring, dreaming, waking, menstruating, conceiving, bearing, birthing, suckling, growing, fatiguing, breaking, aching, ailing, paining, fevering, replenishing, cleansing, hosting, engulfing, killing, collecting, repairing, clotting, blocking, swelling, dying, decaying. The body. So we have to agree, or I have to agree with Saraha, the greatest pilgrimage we will ever make is inside this body. This fathom long body, the Buddha calls it. This practice of the 32 parts is this practice of going into the body. In particularly this practice, we begin to penetrate, if you will, how the body really is. A couple of physician friends of mine worked with me on this, as well as uh, working with a medical dictionary. And part of this practice is to begin to penetrate into the body as it really is, in some ways, to help break some, if you will, of the enchantment or the spell of the body. Not to say that we're going to deny the body, but for example, head here. What is head here? So, in part of our practice. We'll, we'll read some of these definitions so that you really get a sense of what we're talking about. Because many of us have had a bad hair day. I, ha- I actually have every day a no hair day. And, but you, you know what, you know, like you, you get a do and it's just not going the way you want it to go and there's a lot of suffering. <laughs> so I tell my wife this. It's a thread-like outgrowth from the skin of mammals, a thin flexible shaft of hardened cells. that are constantly shedding and being replaced by new hairs. Every two to five years is a replacement of new head hair, except for me. <laughs> An average human scalp has 100,000 head hairs. And what is the function of head hair? To keep the top of the head protected and for temperature regulation, and also for protection from ultraviolet light. That has a little different meaning than the hairdo that we get. So we begin to work with this practice in, in really getting in touch with the body as it really is. So we'll um, go into more of these parts later. Now, there's a particular method and way that we work with this practice. And actually, I was speaking with uh, Wes Nisker at dinner tonight. He's one of the teachers in the other retreat. And I was telling him a little about this. And he said, this is a really weird practice. (laughs) And for for Wes to say it's weird, that's really weird. And um, those that know Wes... But it is a weird practice in the sense that this practice involves um, a particular way of working with it that's unlike any of the other meditation practices that we find. And it's described in what's called the seven-fold skill of learning. And what that means is that we need to say the part out loud, and then we begin by saying it out loud, it helps us to be able to say it, silently inside ourselves. And then from there we need to know the color, the shape, the location, the direction, and what it's bordered by. And so we, in this particular practice, we actually do some chanting out loud of the body parts. And that sets up the tone of the verbal recitation for the mental recitation so that we can begin to penetrate into the color, the shape, the location, the direction, and the boundary of each part. And tomorrow when we go through the practice, we'll help point out the color, the shape, the location, the direction, the boundary, so that we can begin to sense into these parts. And what often happens when we sense into these parts not only do we, you know, feel into the part, but it may also evoke from time to time different thoughts, memories, emotions. I remember one time doing the skin, and I was just being with skin, and then I was in, the, in with the hair of the skin. It's the hair of the skin, and all of a sudden I remembered when I was in high school and I was. Working at Cinder's restaurant and they had barbecue rochisseries of chickens, and I would have to clean these chickens, and I remember these fine hairs of the skin on the chicken. Mm-hmm. Now why that you know, that this practice evokes as you we go into the body, it evokes our lives. A friend of mine doing this practice went into her right knee, and all of a sudden there was this memory of sadness of losing her stillborn child. What is the relationship between the knee and the stillborn? Don't know. It's not important to figure that relationship. What's important is what it's evoked and here's a, here's a part of me that needs to be met and acknowledged and to, to be worked with. In some of the canonical literature you will see references that are fairly negative and associated with the body. For some of you that are students of Buddhism you may have come across that. and. And we have I have consciously decided, and also without compromising the Dharma, that the most skillful use of language is to help us to break the spell of the enchantment of the body. And actually in Pali language, the word that they often associate with um, this practice is called asuba. And it can have references that are pretty um, negative. But perhaps one of the most uh, um, skillful ones is, uh, is non-beautiful. Beautiful in the sense that if you perhaps put some head hair or any of these parts in your soup or sandwich, it would have a different quality. One other thing that I want to mention is that this body is the only body that we will ever get in this entire life? We will not. We may have a knee or a hip replacement. We may have a, a, a transplanted organ, but we will not have a body transplant. At least not yet, and not any time in the near future. This body is the only body that we have. And so a very important element that we also bring into the loving-kindness practice is the practice of metta, a loving-kindness, because this body is the vehicle that we live within in this pathway towards greater freedom. And so we infuse this practice with also that sense that this is the vessel that we are living inside of that we can help assist us towards greater freedom and peace. There's actually a story in the suttas of a group of monks that were uninformed and practicing very negatively with this practice. The Buddha wasn't around. And it turned out they all took their lives because they got so disgusted. And the Buddha said, what are you doing? This body is also the body that we live inside of. And as the Buddha talked about, this body is that this fathom-long body is our vehicle for awakening. And so it's very important when we work with this practice to also to honor this body in the sense of it is our vehicle. So tomorrow we'll begin this practice reciting the parts of the body slowly while we do the meditation, and we will be reading some of the descriptions that will be pointers to help us to go into these parts. We'll have a period in the morning where we'll work with the parts in a period in the afternoon, and there'll be still plenty of silence. But what we would like is that tomorrow morning, I would like to invite us to... um, Chant the parts. We'll do the 10 minute version. Not the 45 minute. And it might be very wonderful. To begin the day. With the chanting of the parts. And we'll let it unravel. And unfold from there. Why do we do these practices? The Buddha said, these are five things you can reflect upon every day. I am of the nature to grow old, and I cannot escape from growing old. I am of the nature to have ill health, and I cannot escape from having ill health. I am of the nature to die, and I cannot escape death. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature of change, and I cannot escape from being separated from them. The fifth, my deeds are my closest companions. I am the beneficiary of my deeds. My deeds are the ground on which I stand. Tungpulu Seto said, Midnight is dark. The new moon is dark. The thickness of the forest is dark. But darkest of all is ignorance. So these practices help us to wake up from our own ignorance. So I'm just going to end with a couple of readings that might be pretty interesting to hear. One is about the human body. Humans spend a third of their lives sleeping. Every person has a unique tongue print. There's enough iron in the human body to make up one small nail. A cough releases an explosive charge of air that moves up to 60 miles per hour. Sneezes can travel over 100 miles an hour. Listen to this next one, it takes 17 muscles to smile and 43 to frown. It takes approximately 200,000 frowns to create one permanent brow line. Most people blink about 25 minutes times a minute, about 20,000 times a day. Every breath we inhale billions of atoms that end up as heart cells, kidney cells, brain cells. The average Adult is made up of 100 trillion cells. If you unwound and join the DNA from the genes of the cells, it would fit in an ice cube. But the string would stretch 80 billion miles. That's from the earth to the sun and back again 400 times. The body gives birth to 100 billion red cells every day. Every square inch of your body is populated by 32 million bacteria that are born and die in it. Human sheds 600,000 particles of skin every hour. Well, we have about 33 people in here, times 600,000 particles. Most dust particles in your house are made from dead skin. The body makes a new stomach lining every five days. The body makes a new liver every six weeks. The body replaces new head hair every two to five years. The body replaces new eyebrows every three to five months. The body grows a new skin once a month. The body replaces a new skeleton every seven years. 50,000 of the cells in your body will die and be replaced with new cells, all while you listen to this sentence. Radioactive isotope studies show that the body replaces 98% of its atoms in less than one year. So... Here's the truth of impermanence and no self, perhaps, that in other words, at any given moment, the parts of your body are appearing and disappearing because they're atoms. So if you think you're your physical body, which body are you talking about? The body you have today is not the same as yesterday. So we'll just sit for a minute. Thank you. So I'm just going to leave you with a wonderful good night poem. And also know that this meditation hall is open 24-7. You're welcome to come anytime. time. Even in the middle of the night, it's a wonderful time to come and to meditate. And this is a, a poem by Wendell Berry. It's called The Peace of Wild Things. These crickets outside are reminding me of that. He says that sometimes in the night I wake up in fear. Sometimes in the night I wake up in fear, in fear of my life or my children's life. And then I go outside to where the wood drakes rest in their beauty and the great blue herons feed, and I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with the forethought of grief, I come into still waters. And for a time, I just rest in the grace of this world and am free. And for a time, I just rest in the grace of this world and am free. May all beings be at peace. Thank you for listening.